Mac Observer's Mac Geek Gab, episode 538, pregame edition for Sunday, February 1st, 2015. Good readings, folks! And thanks for joining the Mac Observers Mac Geek Gab podcast. I, I screwed myself all up, John, because I hit my microphone with my hand as I was swooping back in to, uh, yeah. to greet everyone. So, yeah, this is the pregame edition. Of course, uh, pregame, what we mean by that is is that we are recording this before the uh, Super Bowl happens here in uh in the USA, but uh, most of you will probably hear this after the Super Bowl, but it certainly will be out there before that. Uh, I hope your team yeah. won, and I hope you're. Uh, oh, I don't. I, oh. I'm just gonna ahead of time. I'm sorry that your team lost. Well, there you go. There you go. <laughs> so this is the show where you send in your questions, your tips, all that good stuff. We share all that stuff. Next week is going to be cool stuff found. So we'll talk a little bit more about that as we get through here. Uh, Smile at smilesoftware.com is one of the sponsors for this episode. PDF Pen Pro 7 for OS 10 is what we'll be talking about in a little bit here. Also, Linda at lynda.com slash MGG gets you 10 days free of all of their great training videos. So we'll talk about that in a little bit, too. And yes, here in uh, in in Durham, New Hampshire, which is in New England, rooting for the Patriots today. I'm Dave Hamilton. And here in fearful Connecticut, also New England. Um, yeah, I'll, I'll root for them too, I guess. Um, <laughs> there you go. John F. Braun. How you doing, John F. Braun? Good. Good. Very yeah. good. Yeah. So. Um, I'm so happy, Dave. You know what happened since uh, last week? What happened, John? Gee, Apple released an update to their OS. I assume which that's where OS? we to go. Yeah. Oh, Yosemite. Oh, OS which, um, 10. Yeah, which some have noticed. Um, Maybe Yosemite, I, I don't know. Maybe it was released a little bit before its time. But yeah. finally, at least in my case, Dave here. So, of course, they uh, and, and we're going to talk about the, the update strategy as well. But at least for me, Dave, it fixed my annoying Wi-Fi dropping issue. Uh, I know this because I saw that the version of the, oh, I think it's BCM4620.kext off the top of my head, but it's the it's the driver that i use it was upgraded from 9.0.1 to 9.1 nice so they did quite a bit of work so the first release of yosemite was 9.0 then it was 9.0.1 which almost indicated yeah they you know made some quick changes but here it sounds like they did some serious uh, i know a lot of people are saying they're getting a better wi-fi experience under uh, yosemite 10.10.2 thank goodness good that's good yeah i um I didn't have any machines personally that experienced that, but obviously many, many, many people did. So that's, uh, I'm glad to hear that they finally got that sorted out. That, that was, uh, that was not good. Not good. And, and there was no fanfare for this. You didn't have to, other than just doing the update, you didn't have to do anything special. Right, John? Well, you know, I kind of did. Uh, this may lead into our, uh, yeah, first. Uh, so here was the thing. So, you know, I, I saw on my Twitter stream there, you know, that that it had been released. And so at first I ran or, you know, I think I got a notification from the app store sure. on one of my machines saying um, or on the machine that has it saying, hey, yeah, an updates available. You want to download it? And I'm like, oh, that's interesting. Um, if 
I did it through the app store, it would have taken, uh, cause I think the CDN or Apple CDN just got slammed or whoever's CDN. Sure. Uh, I, I, th- I think Apple is doing it, but, um, Oh boy, five hours to download it. I'm like, what? yeah, that, um, no, seriously. Wow. No, when their servers get slammed, you know, I mean, it yeah. depends. So then I'm like, huh, I wonder if there's a direct link to the, uh, Oh, to the combo. Is there, is there, uh, exactly. And the thing is there is eventually so, someone had actually found the support article and then eventually, and here's a, a mini tip. Uh, if you want to see the downloadable versions of recent Apple stuff, you go to support.apple.com slash downloads. And if you go there now, for example, you will see the two Yosemite updaters. And the, that may be a good lead in here, Dave, because there are two different updaters on that site. Why? Well, yeah. So it, we started getting reports typically uh, over the years, you've heard us talk about this if you're if you've listened for a while, and if not, good advice has always typically been go and download the uh, combo updater for OS 10. You know, we're we're on uh, 10.10.2 now, which means that there was an update to dot one and then dot two, and the combo updater has everything in it in theory to get you all the way from 10.10.0 all the way up to 10.10.2. And that was true of the combo updater when it first came out. Unfortunately, the combo updater was built only to work on 10.10.0. It would not work on anything in the middle, i.e. Mm-hmm. 10.10.1. And uh, yeah, we heard, we heard from several people about this. They then pulled that combo updater and had, they do have two out. They have the incremental that goes just from 10.10.1 to 10.10.2 and, and then the combo. They have released a second version of the combo updater that does work on everything prior to that. Everything Yosemite prior to that anyway. And, um, and so if you got the combo updater early and you're going to stash it and have it on your archive drive somewhere, go get it again just to make sure you have the one that will do dot one and dot zero otherwise you might run into trouble down the road that's all right nice yeah yeah you know uh it was funny john i uh of course the apple update came out and i went to the support article to read it and of course as always happens on my main machine down in the office uh the apple knowledge base article came up blank and so i launched fire in safari so i launched firefox and looked at the article and this has been going on. And then I stopped myself and thought, wait a minute, why am I accepting that this is okay? Uh, it's been happening since I think October that I cannot load Apple support articles or I can, but they just load blank. There's n- it's not like it can't render. There is no source to the page. So the web server is just not sending me anything. And I started thinking, well, why isn't the web server sending anything to Safari? It's happy sending it to the same computer, same IP address in Firefox. There's got to be something else going on here. And that's when I thought, well, what if I, what's different about the two browsers? Is it cookies? And so I went and I into Safari and, and you can delete cookies for just a specific website. If you go into um, preferences, privacy, and then wait a second. And right below where it initially says, remove all website data, you will get a count. It'll say X number of websites stored cookies or other data. And there's a little details dot, dot, dot button. And the dot, 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 as you always point out, John, means click it. There's more. And, uh, and then you can go in here and, and it shows everything by, uh, by top level domain or by domain. So, uh, so I went in and I found Apple and I just deleted. I hit remove all and everything Apple. And then sure enough, 
support articles started coming up. So I wish I'd done that, you know, four months ago, but, uh, but it is a good tip that if you've got some website, that's not delivering you what you expect to see, go ahead and blow away the cookies. Maybe that will solve it. I remember we had that for the longest time. Yeah. Every now and then cookies get the, and the server, they get in a weird state and they don't, they don't talk to each other. I remember expressions at one point or something. It, it was part gonna, of our, I'm just going to correct it. It's expression engine. So expression that people, engine. Yeah, so that people listening know what we're talking about. Yeah. That's the CMS we use to, as the back end for Mac yeah. server at the moment or content management. But I remember at one point I, w- I would try to log in and sometimes it would be just like, you know, I don't know who you are. And I had to delete a TMO domain cookie in order for it to work again. Yep. Cause, cause they just started fighting with each other. Yep. I think it was, you know, bug. Well, yeah, I think they eventually fixed it. Yeah. But for a while there, I was having this terrible. So yeah, I guess clearing out that, uh, I guess uh, you could use other tools to do that as well. Right. Like Onyx and stuff has a section to clear out some internet caches or cookies or does it? Yeah, it will. It's, it's not as granular as, as you can get right there. Uh, right. right. But, but yeah, yeah. It, it'll it'll do it for you yeah it's good stuff fun yeah keeps it, when, yeah, it when that happens to me i usually try to open the page in firefox and it almost always works and then yeah. chrome is my is chrome is my third uh, i you know i'm not a chrome fanatic or anything but uh yeah that's what i do when a page doesn't load i'm like okay is it me is it them well let's use another browser and see if it's me and it's yeah. like oh yeah it's me, oh, yeah, it's me. <laughs> yeah. right yeah. Yeah. I guess, you know, I always, um, most of the time that I launch support articles or look for support articles is when I'm prepping this show and I'm usually in somewhat of a time crunch, um, in that I just want to focus and, and get the show prepped. And so that's why I think that's why I hadn't ever stopped to fix it before on my machine. It was like, Oh, I can just do it another way and I can just keep plowing through and get this done. And, and, uh, and then I wouldn't think about it for another you know week or two and I'd be like, Oh yeah, I need the support article. Oh crap. Okay. Here we go again. Uh, one more follow up to, uh, or one follow up to last week's show. We talked about Skype and microphones and all of that stuff. Uh, listener Joseph wrote in and said, uh, I have no firsthand experience, but I wanted to let you know about the Polycom communicator for Skype. It is a USB connected microphone and speaker or speaker phone, if you will, that is built to be used with Skype. And so figured I would throw that out here. It seems like it's about 130 bucks if, if memory uh, serves. So we'll, we'll put that out. Thanks, Joseph. Good stuff to uh, good stuff to know about. It's uh, it's an interesting problem to solve. So figured I figured we'd share. Uh, you had a follow up from last week, John, uh, about uh, something. It was actually a follow up that came from us, even though we were uh, too in the in the in the thick of it to remember. But we were talking about hard drive interference, and uh, and it turns out it's a real thing. Yeah, we got. Uh, I don't have the, the uh, but yeah, at least one person uh, sent us a, a Twitter. Uh, a tweet saying, "Hey, you know, there's an article talking about USB three and uh, and Wi-Fi interference. Um, and you know, there's this great site called Mac Observer, and this uh, really smart guy Jeff Gamet wrote an article titled USB three hard drives can cause Wi-Fi interference.' <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And then we also got sent a link, and and uh, actually Intel, I think, did a study on this as well, and that goes uh, that gets a little uh, uh, geekier. Yeah, that's right. I think, yeah. but um." But yeah, when you think about it, you know, what's uh, USB 3 operates at five gigabits. Uh, you could translate that to 
gigahertz, right? And then what's kind of half of that? Oh, 2.4, 2.5, 2.4. And I think that's so basically that the it theory. Is? It's a resonance I, I think thing? In, I, that's, I, I poked through it and I, I think that's, yeah, no, they showed some graphs. Again, I think it was in the more technical report where, where it showed when you were operating a device in a certain area, it would show the effect that it had on 2.4 gigahertz spectrum. And it was enough of a bleed over because the 2.4 and the 5 are related. Uh, to me, though, it has to be things that are poorly shielded and stuff, too. I mean, you know, I don't know. Yeah. The cables and enclosures and stuff should be shielded against emitting, you know, RF that's so you know, strong that it's <laughs> interfering with Wi-Fi. So, um, yeah. Uh, yeah. I, yeah. So don't plug one of those into your router, right? A USB three drive. Uh, well, a lot of routers have yeah, Apple oh, sure. too, right? You know, they have USB ports. You can use them for, for various things, printers and drives and, and all sorts of stuff. But, uh, that would be a bad place to put a USB three drive. It yeah. And I think, in the Apple or one of them, they actually specifically said, I think, yeah, it was an Apple write up said, uh, yeah, don't put a USB three hard drive near the antennas. If you have a portable. Yeah. And I guess they tell you in general, I guess the antennas are somewhere uh, as a part of the screen or the rear of the machine. I right. think this is pretty right. normal for most, uh, for Apple laptops. I'm not sure about the desktop machines. Do you know where they are in the iMac? Are they, are they like on the, uh, uh, they frame, are along part the, of the top of the okay. frame. If memory, yeah, I don't know. I think so. Yeah, I'm pretty sure. Pretty sure. All right, John, I want to talk about our first sponsor today. This is Smile at smilesoftware.com. Uh, Smile makes a lot of great apps, and we use most of them here. Uh, this app, PDF Pen Pro 7 for OS X, is no exception. I was very excited when Smile came out with this. Uh, so, obviously, version 7 of a long-standing uh, staple of the both the Smile library and many Mac users' desks and pockets. There is PDF Pen for, for, uh, for iOS as well. Uh, PDF Pen Pro, Pro 7 brings a few new features. To this, uh, you can edit OCR text now from scanned pages. So that means you can take a scan and bring it in and edit it right there. Uh, you can export to Excel, to PowerPoint, and to the PDFA, the PDF archive format. And you can create PDF forms with interactive signature fields now with PDF Pen Pro 7. This is something I uh, I was very excited to, to see. I have I've tested it. I haven't. I haven't had a business case where I needed to use it since I got it yet, but I'm, I'm quite excited about that. Um, it's got a whole new Yosemite interface. Uh, you can proof the OCR. Uh, the, the OCR is the optical character recognition, which means you can scan in a page if you have a page scanned in and, uh, and you can proof what it's going to turn it into before you actually commit all that stuff. Uh, they've added a lot of stuff. They've added compatibility with, with iCloud drive. And, uh, and now they have, uh, you can do highlighting freeform to, to, you know, um, draw attention to drawings and, and diagrams and that sort of thing. Uh, PDF pen pro is just one of these killer apps. I, I also want to share, uh, you know, a, a perfect companion to this. If you want to scan stuff in, you probably already have a scanner in your pocket with your iPhone. Um, PDF scan plus is, uh, is the iOS 
companion app that lets you scan things. And I actually have, you know, I, I do these theater gigs and, uh, and I have a gig coming up and there was no PDF of the book, but I like to put the book on my iPad so that I can run it from the, the iPad during the show. And it was like a 40 page book. And I thought, well, I guess I can put it on the scanner. And I thought, no, I just took out my iPhone and in like four minutes I scanned all 40 pages. It makes it super simple and it made it into a PDF. You can save it to iCloud. You can save it wherever you want and then bring it into PDF, PDF pen. Obviously that book, I wouldn't want to OCR because it's musical notation and the OCR engine would probably not do so well with that. Um, nor would I want it to, I kind of want, I want the, what it looks like on the page, but, um, but yeah, it worked flawlessly. And then you can bring that right in. Uh, you know, it, it's interesting because uh, you can go to, to smilesoftware.com to, uh, to buy this, of course. Um, but uh, listener George wrote in something and he was very happy. He says, uh, I purchased PDF Pen Pro through multiple versions directly from Smile Software and had upgraded directly from Smile through version five. When version six came out, I purchased a used Air. Uh, so the Apple App Store purchase allowed me to run it on both of my Mac laptops. So I switched to the App Store version, even though I had to do so without upgrading. Smile sent me an, up, a mail, an email a couple of days ago that version 7 was released. Since purchasing version 6, my old MacBook Pro died, um, but uh, I ended up purchasing a Retina MacBook Air. It says, I was pleased what Smile did for PDF Pen Pro 7 upgrades for App Store customers. I followed their documentation, which was to download PDF Pen Pro 7 and run it. It detects that you have a valid version 6 from the App Store installed. And then offers you upgrade pricing, which I thought was pretty cool. Thanks for sharing that, George. That's good stuff. That's uh, Smile solving the App Store upgrade problem in, in their own way. And I like that. So check it out. Smilesoftware.com is where you're going to go to uh, to learn about this. As George pointed out astutely, you can download a demo to test it out. And then when you're ready to buy, they're ready to take uh, take your money and, and provide you all the support and updates that uh, that they possibly can. So check it out. Thank, thanks to Smile at SmileSoftware.com for uh, supporting the show. And make sure you let them know that this is where you heard about it here at Mac Geek. Yeah. Thanks, Smile. All right, John. You want to you take it to Alan? I'm going to take it to Alan. Alan is a problem, all right? <laughs> yeah. And Alan writes in and says, Hello, I recently updated Onyx uh, to 2.9.5. And was, it, was this made to find out that they had dropped the verify function? So now I can't check for any corrupt preference files. After an email exchange, they appear to be of the opinion that the function is of no further use. I've been evaluating both cocktail and tinker tool, but I find these applications to be too complicated. Uh, and over, I'm on a page break here. I'm trying to read the rest of this, but <laughs> so he's considering them as well. Yeah. I can't see. Oh man, that's terrible. It, it put a page break in this text right between. Oh, you want right me to read it or you got it? I think you got it. I think you got the gist of it. No, I got it. So, so yeah, yeah. so he's looking at both cocktail and tinker tool, but I guess the, uh, the question was, um, what else can I do to perform this action of verifying preference files? Cause that's important. Cause if your preference files get corrupted, well, they, it leads to, well, kind of like you pointed out, Dave cookies are another thing, but preference files, if they're screwed up, then your apps are going to screw up and they won't do what they should. Yep. Um, so he's like, is there any way to do this? And so I pointed out a few things. So one, um, would be drive pulse. Drive pulse does have a, among other things, I, uh, excuse me. I, so I run drive pulse on one of its options. In addition to checking the physical integrity and stuff like that. So this is a package uh, in drive genius from ProSoft. 
Um, but you know, you got to pay money. Yeah. So, uh, but it, it, it absolutely does that feature. And actually I like it because, you know, th- most users won't think to do this sort of thing on a regular basis. It does the thinking for you. <laughs> um, so I really like that feature and I've had it find things on, on one of my machines. It would say, yeah, you know, this plist file is corrupt and I'm like, okay, whack it. And, uh, um, and I think it found corruption as well. If, if there's minor file system corruption, it'll probably catch it ahead of time. So that's good. Um, another thing, as it turns out, I think that's not the best answer here, but another, maybe you may know this, Dave. I mean, I've, I've had, uh, so my suggestion here is that you could run an Apple script to run disutility from the terminal. And you can do that. If you go to the terminal and you type disutil, you'll see a whole slew of options there. And, and it's, it's trivial to uh, write an Apple script to run that sort of thing. So you could do that too. But now that I think about it, I'm not sure if disutility is the best tool to detect plist file corruption. I've seen it detect permission problems with preference files, but uh, I, I don't think corruption. Yeah, it's not checking the files themselves for corruption. I mean, it's checking the file system for corruption. So it can, you know, if you've got issues there, but yeah, the files themselves, the integrity of the, 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 the file. No, I don't think so. Yeah. yeah. You need but, something from a third party for that. But I still think it's good because you could have a, a preference file that has the wrong permissions and that can be, that can yeah cause weirdness. Yeah. Um, but then I did, you know, I thought more about this. I'm like, you know what? There has to be another answer. And you know what, David, there is. Um, so you can do this also from the terminal. So actually, I, uh, I actually found a very nice article. Dave, look how old, uh, look how long people have been thinking about doing this. But I basically found an article from uh, 2005. Wow. <laughs> talking about how to do this. And as far as I can tell, it's still, it's still valid. Uh, it was written by uh, Rob, uh, Rob Griffiths. Oh, yeah. So um, here's what you do. You can, but, but I have to add a little addendum because I think uh, something in the article went through a little um, hiccup, uh, editing hiccup. So there is a utility, Dave. I never knew this. I can't believe I I hadn't known this before. So uh, there's a command from the terminal called PLutil. Really? What is that you ask? Well, it, uh, and, and how do you find out what a command does with, if, you know, people like me and Dave are saying, yeah, you know, there's this new thing you can run from the terminal. How do you find out what the heck it does? Well, typically if you're in the terminal, you type man, which is for manual page space. And then in this case, PL util, it gives me documentation and it's a property list utility. It's just kind of part of Unix I, uh, or, or at least the, uh, you know, BSD open BSD foundation you know because on the top it says bsd general command tools or command manual like huh so you can do from the terminal so then he uh, in the article now the only thing is he has what you would type in on the command line and it's pseudo space pl util and i'll leave the rest for you to to, i'm not going to read it to you sure but basically it's it's it's, well basically you're saying run pl util with a certain flag on my uh, home library preferences uh, directory for any file that has plist in it. And that's what the command will do. The problem is the article itself, if you cut and paste what's there, they have a space where they should not after library slash. So if you paste in what they have in that article, it will not work. You got to get rid of the space. Um, All right. And then if, if you're afraid of the terminal, though you shouldn't be, but if you are, that's okay. You know, we, 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 (laughs) we understand. Um, 
someone uh i eventually found it so so the, the, they somebody wrote an apple script or an application oh. to do this i think it's an apple script and it does the same thing it runs plutil but it gives you a nice gui so if, if you want to do that that's cool the problem is the link to where you could get that utility in this article i found as well is incorrect um and we'll put it in the uh show notes here but basically somebody wrote a utility that will um well, it's called preferential treatment. So we'll put a link in the show notes, of course. Love okay. to be handcrafted by me. Um, yeah, that's the name of it, preferential treatment, and uh, does the same thing. So uh, I don't know why I didn't find that the first time. My, my Google foo was, was weak. <laughs> but it's a good article. I mean, you know, it's amazing, though, I mean, because of the Unix underpinnings. I mean, a lot of the other stuff in this article from 2005 is also valid. It's yeah. stuff you could still do. Yeah. Yeah, and they actually have a, um, a comparison chart of like all the various disutilities. I think most of them are still around. Anyways, I want to so, throw out uh, in in the chat room. NCSUCPE is the nickname uh, mm. suggested, and and is correct in doing so. That Disk Warrior, the the new version of Disk Warrior, also includes a preferences mm. uh, scanning and fixing utility. That's actually a really nice tool. The new Disk Warrior. If you haven't checked it out, definitely. I never. Yeah, I've I've never been a follower. I, I, okay. I have no problem with it. I think I've just sure. sort of got around to finding a reason, uh, finding something it did that other things didn't do to some degree. So, well, huh. what it what it does, and and Drive Genius does this in a different way. But what Disk Warrior always kind of focused on, and it's 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 main. Uh, benefit was that it would rebuild your directory it wouldn't try to repair it it would rebuild it and there were there were a lot of it it was the first utility of its kind in that way uh, and and it still does that so it it's quite a it's quite a valuable thing if you've got something you know you can you can actually through the repair process uh, with disk utility or or others you know and drive genius falls into this if you use the repair p- portion of that you can get yourself actually into a worse scenario than you started, right? As you try to repair things and it just makes it worse and worse. And, and disc warrior <laughs> with its rebuild can, can really make a difference there. Um, now drive genius also has a rebuild functionality too. I haven't pitted the two against each other. It's hard to a B test that stuff because uh, I've once you solve a I, problem, you're, you're done, <laughs> but I've had disc warrior solve problems that nothing else um, was able to solve okay. up till that point. So, yeah, because I had um, one time, uh, I think it was on, uh, not my SSD, but another drive, but I, but I had a problem that this utility found. Yeah. Um, and a rebuild fixed it. Because, yeah, at some point, it's so broken that... Right. And, and that's what happened. This utility kept saying, you know, I tried to fix this, but I'm, I'm just confused. I, I, I can't do this. <laughs> that's when you need, you have to kick it up a notch here. Yeah. Um, yeah, I was freaking out. It was like, oh my gosh, it's like damaged. Then, you know, once it's damaged, it gets worse, not better. And if right. I can't fix it, now what? Yeah, and I now didn't want what? to do a total, I didn't want to do a total restore. Remember the old Norton utilities in pre OS 10 Mac uh, operating oh, systems? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it had that thing called File Saver that occasionally would run. And by occasionally, I mean several times a day would run and just take a snapshot of what your directory looked like and saved it. And uh, and the idea was if your directory got into one of these scenarios, you could restore this snapshot uh, and then at least have access to your files for a, you know, a long enough period that you could back up the important stuff and then and then wipe. And when I was doing the you know, when I was doing the consulting on my own and then with uh, when we had computer nerds, 
I I saw several instances where that file saver thing saved our bacon. We always would like be like, oh yeah, that's right. There's file. Let's let's see. They were running file saver. Let's see, and it would always work. You know, it was like it was always a hail mary, and it always came through. So um, so it you know I'm what I'm wondering is why no one is doing that now. Why aren't we? Saving, you know, why, why hasn't somebody at, at like ProSoft with Drive Genius or, or, you know, the guys at Alsoft with, with Discord or how come they haven't put a utility in like part of Drive Pulse should be just save snapshots in my directory all day long. Um, now, granted, directory corruption at that level isn't as common as it used to be. So maybe there's just not as much of a call for it. But I still feel like that was a handy thing to have around. Anyway. Yeah, yeah. I remember back in the day, um, Norton, speaking of, I remember back in the day when I had, uh, uh, knew some people that had a place out in Martha's Vineyard. We were actually on the same circuit. He, he was in the general neighborhood because yeah. he, uh, has, or, uh, I don't know if he lives there. He just had a place there, but it was all like, you know, people were like, Oh, sh- Peter Norton. Oh, that's yeah. interesting. Yeah. 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 <laughs> all right. Uh, uh, less, we had a couple of, couple of questions along these lines this week. And anything that affects podcast listening affects all of you. So, uh, so it's usually a safe bet that this topic is popular. Uh, less rights. I downloaded podcast. I download podcasts on iTunes in the my podcast tab on my Mac. But when I click the refresh button in the lower left of the app, many times nothing happens. When it's working correctly, I see hollow circles preceding each podcast, and they fill in. And if there's nothing new, the circle goes away. If there's something new to download, I see it progress until there's a blue dot indicating unheard content. Randomly, when I click refresh, nothing happens. Refreshing individual podcasts won't work either. Sometimes if I shut down iTunes and restart it, I'll be able to update. Sometimes it takes a complete reboot of my Mac. Sometimes even the reboot doesn't help. Sooner or later, the podcasts usually download, but I like to refresh in the morning before going to work and iTunes just won't allow it. Another problem I'm having is randomly iTunes will download a bunch of old podcasts. I've had it download 1, 10, 50, and as many as 230 audio podcasts that I've already heard. One day, for no apparent reason, iTunes downloaded 50 Mac Geek Cabs. It has done the same for OS Can, Nutrition Diva, etc. I have a new 5K iMac, but I imported my iTunes library from my previous iMac, which was doing the same thing. Any thoughts? You know, this is we're dealing with an iTunes problem, right? And so that's... The issue Don't say is iTunes, man. You're going to get me upset. I know. That's the thing is it's this big piece of bloatware and, and Apple has a real problem here. And I know they know this, you know, iTunes was never built to be doing all the things that it's doing. There's all this stuff. Podcast was being one of them. It, it's bolted on. Right. But it's, it's at the, the kitchen sink of Apple software. It is. It doesn't follow their whole <laughs> paradigm of, you know, w- focused apps that do certain things and all that. But, you know, they can't rewrite it because they need to maintain backwards compatibility, right? You can't just tell everybody, all right, iTunes is gone now. That's it. You know, use this new stuff, use a music app, use a podcast app, use this on your Mac. That's great on iOS because that's where they started. But, uh, but you know, this is at the core of their business. iTunes is the app that sort of ties it all together. And, and it's, it's a tough thing for them. And I don't mean to give them a pass. I just mean to say it from, it's a fact, right? It's not an easy problem to solve yet. They should solve it because it sucks. So with that as the preface, you know, if it were me, I would do the knowing what I know about iTunes, I would, you know, my, my gut reaction is 
delete every podcast from iTunes and re-add them. Uh, once you wipe them out, though, make sure you go to any computers or devices that are also logged into your same iTunes store account. Now, this may be, but is not necessarily the same as your iCloud account. iTunes podcast syncing happens based on the iTunes store account that you're logged in with. I know, I know. It's yet another anomaly that we just chalk up to iTunes being iTunes. Um, so it's possible that some of that syncing is causing issues. So if you wipe out all the podcasts that you have in iTunes and re-add them, uh, or, or wait, you know, just let it sync and, and check if you have other iOS devices, or even if you don't, it's still syncing this stuff to the cloud, even if there's no other computer or device syncing it back down. So do that, quit iTunes, relaunch, tell it to refresh, even though there's nothing to refresh. Make sure it doesn't, you know, auto populate you again. You may find that you have to delete things several times before it finally says, aha, okay, you really want this stuff gone. Got it. Um, and then add things one at a time. My guess is that that's going to solve your problem. I, I hate to, I hate to punt like that. Uh, so two sports analogies, right? We've had the hail Mary and now punting uh, in our pre Super Bowl thing, but I hate to punt like that and just say, yeah, I delete them all. You know, there's no magic answer, but there really is no magic answer. Everything's stored in, one big library file that heaven forbid you ever had to go in there and muck about with it. It's, it's over, right? You, you've lost before you started. So, um, so that's, that's my thoughts on, that. I don't know if you have any thoughts on, on that in general, John. I think I shared my thoughts though. Yeah. Well, yeah, we all share your thoughts. <laughs> Everybody's got a bad piece of software. Somebody in the chat room said iTunes 12 is Brian. Brian Monroe says iTunes 12 is Apple's Vista. Yeah. Yep. Yosemite almost became Apple's Vista too. The, the the jury's still out on that, I think. But um like I said, you know, we should I mean, how long has it been out now? What? For a few months now, right? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and and you know, beta with a million testers over the summer too. So Yeah, so that's why I said, I mean, now it seems to be at the point where it's consistent and stable enough to where I think I could recommend We've had a lot of people ask us, uh, you know, should I upgrade? And I'm like, well, the answer yeah. <laughs> is probably yes. I mean, it, it I. It, well, initially, I warned people away because of the Wi-Fi problem. I'm sure. like, All right. If you have certain class of machine like MacBook Pro 15 inch, you know, 2012, you're probably going to have headaches with the Wi-Fi. Definitely. And it was that. And the only other people I heard from, and, and I'm sure there were many more, were uh, iMac. Uh, those seem to be the only two audiences that really had the, the problem, I think because of the Broadcom chipset they use. Right. I think they use the same chipset in both of those. So it was just some weird driver thing. But, Bad uh, driver. Yeah. I, I, my experience is that if you're already on Mavericks, go to Yosemite. Um, if you're on mountain lion and you're happy there, stay it. So if you're happy and you know it, clap your hands and stay on mountain lion. <laughs> so do you think, should I upgrade my mini? If you're on right Mavericks, now it's fine. There's, yeah. Yeah. There's no reason not know. to, uh, you know, I feel like that that's a, it was kind of yeah. like, yeah. Yeah. The only thing is for the, uh, you know, I decided uh, my strategy for a number of years is always just uh, kind of for support purpose as well was to have a machine that was running the prior OS. Cause I don't have as many machines as you, Dave, you have like a whole, I've got a, fleet. Oh, you have a few more than I do. Yeah. I mean, I mean, I have two, you know, I got my MacBook pro and my mini. So, I'd like to have at least one other system that's not running the latest just as a reference point, if yeah. anything. Yeah. So both for my purposes, but also 
for the listeners, especially because, you know, sometimes there are drastic changes and some are subtle changes between Mavericks and Yosemite. But uh, no, I just like to have that. And it, it seems, you know, I mean, right now, I think, you know, shh, knock on wood, uh, our, you know, <laughs> setup now as far as, you know, processor and stuff like that. I think we're in pretty good shape. Yeah. Yeah. It, it's um, I don't know. Yeah. For the show, you mean for recording here? Absolutely. We're in good yeah. shape. Yeah. Yeah, we're recording. In fact, I did something different today, John, and I don't think it's hurt us. I did it during pre-show, too, is I changed. I have uh, for years when we first started recording the show, I was having it save a, you know, compressed 64 kbps MP3 mono file, which is what we release in. And that format is totally fine for for what we do here. Uh, we do a lot of dynamic compression anyway, so there's not a huge dynamic range and, and the 64 K mono MP3 sounds great and it's small enough to distribute. Uh, but I learned very quickly that you don't want to record um, in a compressed format for a lot of reasons, but, um, but really you want, you want the, the raw audio when you're recording in case you have to do something, you've got full audio stream to mess with. So for years we've been recording wave files and then we started using this service called Auphonic, A-U-P-H-O-N-I-C, that does all the processing and, and conversion. It takes the levelator, which used to do all this great um, sort of dynamic compression on the show and, and balance levels and everything. All of that now is done in a cloud service we use called Auphonic. The problem is, of course, we have to upload the recorded file to Auphonic before that can happen. And an hour and 20 minute show is usually about... Uh, Oh, you know, 450 megabytes worth of data. And so today I'm recording the show in Apple lossless format, which should do about half of that. It should save uh, quite a bit of upload time after we finish the show. So, yeah, uh, yeah. And it's still lossless. I mean, it, there's no it's compressing it, but not in a way that when it's uncompressed it loses any data. So, so that's what I'm doing today. It's something new, you know, why not? Why not? I like new stuff. Yeah. You want to learn how to do new stuff, John? Speaking of new. I want to talk about our second sponsor. And uh, Okay. And that's Linda at lynda.com slash MGG. Linda is the place to go to learn new stuff. You know, we've, uh, we've been talking about the terminal. We're actually going to talk a little bit more about the terminal here. But if you listen to this show, it's partially, uh, maybe it's because you love our personalities. At least I hope that's part of it. But I think really it's because you're learning things every time or most every time. The goal is to learn something. That's what we say at the beginning of most every episode. Linda takes that even further. And if you want to learn more about the terminal, go to lynda.com slash MGG, L-Y-N-D-A.com slash MGG. And that will get you 10 days free of their professionally produced. These things are awesome. These video tutorials about everything. And yes, they've got tons of tech content. You want to learn the terminal. You want to learn how to program. You want to learn Photoshop. You want to learn QuickBooks. You want to learn how to balance your checkbook. You want to learn how to manage stocks all kinds of crazy stuff. Pretty much anything you'd want to learn. You could probably put yourself to college effectively. Learn all the things that you would learn in the college classroom from Linda for 25 bucks a month. So, uh, and you get 10 days free from, uh, lynda.com slash MGG. So you want to learn more about the terminal. That's the place to go because you can see it, you know, so much that we do an audio show here. We're going to, we talk about the terminal, but the best way to learn is to see it because it's all these commands. And like, you know, you even stopped in the middle of the last one. You said, okay, here's, 
part of this command, go to the website, read the rest of it, type it in. Cause we don't want to give it to you wrong. It's hard to visualize that stuff when you hear someone, but when you see someone doing it, it makes total sense. And the terminal really isn't a scary thing. So I challenge all of you this week. It's free, right? You get 10 days free. Go to Linda and learn about OS 10's terminal. It's awesome. Uh, and let us know what you've learned, right? I would actually love to hear from each and every one of you what it is you've learned from Linda about the terminal from Linda. You get this free trial. You obviously you can learn anything else you want, but go in and learn about the terminal and tell us what you've learned. We'll share it uh, in a future show. Uh, like I said, at, at that URL, you get a 10 day free trial, unlimited access to every course at Linda, and you get access to view the tutorials and stream them to your tablet, iPhone, iPad, even Android. Uh, they add new courses every week. Uh, in addition to the terminal, iOS eight, iPhone and iPad essential training. They've got another course, set up your, your mobile office to work from anywhere. Another one that's going to be a favorite. I think of all of us speeding up and maintaining your Mac. And like I said, you want to learn Swift. Great. They've in fact, Linda has, uh, has what they call their code clinic, which is a, a series each month. Linda issues a code challenge and authors share their solutions using a variety of different programming languages. John, this is like our, you know, computer class preschool that we used to take, right? You know, not yeah. in preschool, but I, I don't know. I used to go in the morning. <laughs> yeah. I used to go in the mornings and we had computer club, right? Where we would get these programming challenges and everybody would solve it a different way. And we'd talk about our solutions and we'd take the best one and we'd submit it. And uh, sometimes we'd win and sometimes we'd lose. But uh, most of the time we won because we had we had some actually killer programmers. I learned from some great people. Um, so check it out. This is fun stuff what they're doing there. And let us know what you've learned. Linda, L-Y-N-D-A dot com slash M-G-G. So I, I mentioned the terminal, John. And thanks to Linda for, for everything that you do, uh, your sponsorship and your support of the show and all the fun stuff that we get to do together with you. So. Uh, lynda.com slash M G G. All right. Michael has a really interesting question. Michael asks, is it possible to run Yosemite or an earlier OS 10 version completely from a command line? What do you think of that, John? Uh Oh, huh? Yeah. How do you want to do that? I know it's crazy, right? <laughs> So he says, do Mac OS 10 apps allow command line execution? How does that work? Uh, would it run full screen in a graphic UI or just cough up a hairball? So you can launch apps. The, the answer is it's not clear. There's no one answer, but there, there is, uh, and I'm getting some weird echoes. Are you guys hearing that in the chat room? Um, the answer is it does get a little funky um, in that, you can launch apps from the terminal, but you can't necessarily the apps that you're launching aren't necessarily built to be used from the terminal, right? You know, an app like Pixelmator, let's say, is a graphical app. You know, even an app like Pages is not meant to be run in the terminal. It 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 uses frameworks that draw pictures and and use fonts and all that stuff. So you can't, you're not going to get OS 10 to run in a, in a, you know, a, a, a shell. It's not going to happen, but you can launch apps from the terminal, right? If you go to, if you go to the terminal and you type slash application slash, let's say pages dot app, then you're inside the pages package. 
inside there, there are two folders that matter contents and then Mac OS. And then after that is going to be the app name and you can type it and it'll, it'll launch the, the app. And, and actually if there's any debug output, it'll actually spit out into that terminal window. Cause it'll just sort of hang there while the app's running. Then when you quit the app, you get back dumped down to a command line. So yeah, you can mess around with it, but no, you're not going to run. It's not going to magically convert all your OS 10 apps to the terminal, but it is an interesting question. It, you know, it's um, you definitely right. can run those apps that way. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. I thought that was I think the, uh, I think the, the days of a CLI only, uh, you know, uh, those days have passed. Well, I mean, <laughs> that being command line interface, which is, you know, when, when Dave and I were, we little geeks, uh, were the, uh, you know, but I <laughs> was, still, was the flavor of some of the things that we used and that it was only text, right? Yeah. I st- and I still do that every day with our, our servers that we run TMO on. I enter, interact with those strictly from the command line. I could use a, a graphical interface via like a web browser, like a C panel kind of thing. But, um, but we still use the command line. It's easy. If I need to restart Apache or mess with something, I just go to the terminal SSH in and do it. So it's still there, but yeah, you're not going to run that on your desk. At least most people aren't not in that way. It's better to use graphic to use a GUI. Yep. It's fun though. I enjoy my, my Unix time every day. It's fun. I just like, you know, like the thing I mentioned is, oh, there's something called PLUtil. Isn't that cool? Right. <laughs> I never right. knew about that. Right. One day I'll just have to go into the bin directory. Now, of course, you got to find in which directory or directories all yeah. of these fun utilities live. Yeah. And just go through each one. See what they do. I think I, in the early days, <laughs> I think I did that sometimes. Yeah, totally. I go through, you find the place where all the commands are stored and you look at them and you're like, oh, what does that do? Hmm, okay. It's fun. It's I fun. even kind of do that now, you know, I'm trying to let me see if I can find the one. It's uh I think it's core services as a directory and uh at least in in most uh Mac operating systems. If you find something called core services and you look in there, you'll find this mishmash of things that are not meant to be touched but also uh things that you can run that actually lead to programs that are a lot of times uh, part of a menu in OS 10, but there's no direct interface. But the, the thing is, there is, you just got to know where to look. Sure. Right. That's right. That's right. I put the, uh, yeah. I found that, that Linda course, it's called Unix for Mac OS or Unix for OS 10 users. I put a link to that in the show notes. So, uh, so you can jump right there. All right, John. So uh, let's talk about, let's talk, let's do Charles here. Then I have an experiment I did here. I want to talk about Charles. Oh boy. Right, it's right, time. Let me go open a can of worms here, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right, let me get Charles up here. So, Charles writes, "Hello, Misters, Mr. Uh, Misters, right? Misters Hamilton and Braun. <laughs> First, thank you for helping recovering my wife's notes page. Oh, yeah. You know, I don't think we ever got to that question, Dave. Oh, we we did. Uh, we just some- didn't get to it in the show." But anyway, he, uh, right. Yeah. All right. So, so we helped, uh, his wife recover some stuff from using Apple's notes, uh, you know, the kind of network syncing version of notes in the latest OS. And, and I guess that worked. Yay. Now I've got Evernote. It's not the right app to store phone numbers, but it's better than notes or the back of an envelope and grocery store receipts. <laughs> Agreed. Um, 
All right. And then he says, I think it would be very much appreciated if you could explain to everyone how Apple's memory compression works and how we can get rid of it or at least tame it. I'll keep going. <laughs> yeah. I only notice it when my MacBook Pro, admittedly a vintage 2012 Core 2 Duo with four gigs of RAM, starts to stutter and fails to respond. By that time, it's too late and a reboot is about the only thing that cures it. I have the Activity Monitor app running and the system is well behaved. When I'm using Mail, iTunes, NeoOffice, uh, which is pretty much all he runs. The problem rears its ugly head and when and whenever I browse the web with Safari or Firefox or Google Chrome or Opera, the compressed memory seems to jump by several megabytes with each page fetch and eventually the system chokes. Getting out of the app doesn't clear the compressed memory, so it's not an app-specific cache. I wish it was, but when I quit those apps, the compressed memory still shows almost as much memory in use. It shouldn't. What is going on? Or you think you said WTF is going on. What does that stand for? Uh, uh, what's that font? <laughs> what's that font? <laughs> so part of my reply, and I think it's a good, a good uh, way to start. Uh, Uh-oh. Do we have a Skype issue today, Mr. Braun? Something happened. I'm going to pause here and see if we can't get John back. Hey, we're back. And John's back after I think about 10 minutes. So uh, I have no, I, honestly, other than texting, you knowing that you rebooted your, your Mac mini, but I think there's more to it than that. You, you just got dumped off of Skype. So, uh, so what happened? What happened is all of a sudden, so I'm talking and then I hear nothing. And right. I heard the ka-ching Skype disconnect sound. And I'm right. like, Okay, and you got a beep too. <laughs> well, that was that was your message coming into my uh, phone. Oh, so, oh, okay. I hadn't read it yet. So, so then I noticed slowly the various network connected services on my mini started going, like yeah. Dropbox. The icon turned gray. Uh, Google Drive it turned gray, uh, and and various things are saying, "Well, this is a problem. Your your computer doesn't appear to be in the internet anymore." And I'm like, "Oh, great." Can I guess um, that it was not a problem with your computer? No. Well, I'll tell you. <laughs> I, I, I don't know why I'm not going to point the finger at them, but I've had this problem before. So it gets to the point where I'm wired machine, but not my wireless gets to a point where it doesn't get an IP address. It gets right. a one six nine address. The last time I tried to diagnose this, it was basically something on the network. We had this during the show once where you're yes, yeah, something Same thing. Yeah. Well, okay. in this case, it was uh, uh, in this case, what I removed from the network. And now I don't know if it's the device or the network connection or the cable. I'll have to diagnose that. So I'm not pointing fingers right now. <laughs> what, it, what was the device? It was my transporter. Not surprising. OK. Yeah. As soon as I pulled the power on the transporter, I actually got an IP address. Yeah. On the mini. I'm like, yeah, because so, so the first thing is that's I what it was last time, too. That's what it was last Man, time. I don't know if it's their software, their device, or again, it, it may be a problem on my end. I'm, sure. I'm not pointing again. I I'm understand. not going to point fingers. Yeah, I understand. I'm not protecting them, although they, you know, we like them and they like us. Sure. Um, I've had in my specific configuration, I've had this device more than once be the cause of a problem where when I powered it down, everything went back to normal. <laughs> right. That's all I'm saying. It could be my switch is bad. I should get another switch or another cable. I um, had that. It's problem. something in the chain getting to the transporter because when I unplug it, everything's yep. great. If I, and I didn't, you know, because we're doing a show, duh. I didn't want to run like Wireshark or Packet Capture. But if if I had the time, what I would do is run a Packet Capture utility to see who. Um, because to me, that's a, a, a 
probably an expected symptom is all of a sudden you get a 169 address. That means something is wrong on the network. And one of the results is your computer loses its IP address. And it's like, huh? <laughs> yeah, it just loses its ability to talk. That's right. Yeah. And, yeah. and I suspect it was, you know, what you want to call it broadcast storm or whatever. Some device, something in the chain was barfing or disrupting the network. And I had to power it down in order to solve the problem. So that's, I have, that's, I have had that. I had that problem recur here many times. Uh, I have a transporter and it was never the transporter uh, for whatever that's worth. Uh, every time mm-hmm. when it, when the problem happened, every time the solution was to uh, that, my iMac in the house would be locked up completely unable to wake up. And if I just turned it off, everything else on the network woke back up and was fine. Just, you know, exactly the, what you're talking about here, just different device. As I think about it now, that problem has not happened since I replaced the switch that that iMac was plugged into. And that switch was one of these, what they call green switches. When you talk about switch, it's the Mm. thing that you plug your ethernet into those green switches cause all kinds of problems, especially with Apple gear. Um, So I'm curious if your switch is is, is green. Well, well, I have a, it may have some energy saving features is actually a monoprice. That's what I mean. This is their eight port. And it's, I mean, I've never isolated a problem to it. I mean, the thing is for the money, it's great. 25 bucks. It's a gigabit switch. It has eight ports. I mean, uh, and I've never, had something where I could again point at that device being the issue. Yeah, I don't know. I, the, this will be fun to track down because yeah. it, it rears its ugly head randomly. Sometimes when we're doing the podcast, but other times, right? And the and the the reason I know is eventually everybody on my network, my wired network, because the wireless yeah. is still working on my MacBook Pro. Right. Everything on the wired network gets cranky, and and I have to restart it, <laughs> or I have to knock whoever the offender is out of the circuit and. uh all right yeah fun all right so uh so i look forward I, to i was on i was on a roll with um who we had there oh uh, you yeah so we were lot. gonna we were talking about uh charles's question but really the the net of it is what is and and this is true of mavericks and, I see. and okay. later i remember I, yeah i remember where i was at okay so so um, the, the net is what help let's talk through and, and hopefully in part to help us and our listeners understand what OS 10 and specifically what activity monitor is trying to tell us about how memory is being managed on our Mavericks and Yosemite based Macs, because Mavericks is the first OS that had memory compression. I, if I, if memory serves me and my memory's compressed, so it might not No, 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 no. I'm just, <laughs> <laughs> and I believe you're correct. So, there are some terms I think we're going to use here that you won't see on the screen. So that's why we're talking about it right now. Okay. So the thing is you get at a point with any operating system where the amount of memory or fast memory is depleted. Now, the one thing that affects our discussion here is that the memory under OS 10 is either in use and it's not going to get given up. And then there's this gray area. And this is where uh, that causes a lot of the issues here is that, memory may be put in a state that's known as inactive in that it's been recently used, but it's not being released quite yet unless somebody very forcefully asks for it back. Um, So you get to the point where 
inactive the, the active and the inactive memory may get larger than the capability of the ram in your machine at that point there are a number of things that could happen now what happens in the, the most recent apple operating systems is it will compress or make smaller like you do with a zip file or uh, you know anything it'll make the inactive memory because it's not terribly important it's kind of important it'll compress it and make it smaller and if that happens, then the probability of you swapping to disk, which is a bad thing always, will be reduced. But at some point, you, you, you exceed the capabilities of the OS to, to kind of manage this process, and then it will start swapping. Right? And by swapping, you mean taking what should be in RAM and saving it out to disk. Right. RAM is many, many, many times faster than either a rotational or an SSD disk. That's but right. if it gets to the point where... You're out of RAM. There, there, it has no choice. It's like I got to use the disk. There's nothing else for me to do here. Now, an SSD makes it much better, and that it's much faster. Right. But it's still relatively slow memory. Um, now, the thing is, that what was being discussed here is compression. So, what happens, as I mentioned, is this inactive memory—the memory that's not being actively used, but maybe the OS wants to keep it around—will get compressed. But the problem is, sometimes it doesn't do this immediately. And and we've had several questions here, like the the one we just received saying, why isn't my memory freed up immediately? And I think that's just the way the OS is written. It's not... Normally, it, it, you know, it doesn't... I, I don't know if it makes sense for an operating system to immediately release memory as soon as you quit the app, because it may, again, need it. Maybe you quit right. it by accident, right? Yeah, you have to and, understand and, that this all goes back to... Um, it, it, to you and I, as users of desktop computers, it makes perfect mm-hmm. sense... That or it makes no sense that if I'm running, say, Pages, and Pages has claimed some memory for various things, uh, and then I quit Pages, all of that should be freed, right? That's that's. I mean, that makes sense. I've quit the app. I don't need it. But Unix was built with the concept of really for it was built for servers, right? And tweaked for servers, and it and and so if you're running something like. Apache, like a web server or database server. If you quit that thing and relaunch it, it might actually wind up you needing those same resources. We're not talking about, you know, the space that it uses for your documents. We're talking about, well, I need that library for, for this operation. I need this library for this operation. It's not part of the app. It's part of the OS, but it's going to load it anyway. Frameworks. And, and then, and I know I'm getting this wrong, but, uh, but but in a general sense, this is what happens. It loads this stuff and it doesn't free it. It doesn't erase it from memory until something else needs that space in memory. Because you're probably if a computer is used as a web server and you quit the web server application, there's a darn good chance you're going to relaunch that sometime soon. So why mm-hmm. why delete that stuff from RAM when it's just going to be needed soon again? And that's where this comes from. And so those things that aren't being used, OS 10 with Mavericks and, and, you know, like your Synology, uh, I think Disk Station Manager 5.0 and later uses compressed memory as well. Right. I mean, it, this is a common thing and it compresses it down and, and, and out it goes. But swap memory is bad. That's a good indicator mm-hmm. that you've got a problem and not much. I mean, it, it, you need a lot, right? If you've got a couple hundred megs of swap memory, no problem. If swap memory is in the multi gigabyte range, you're running more things than you have RAM to run. And the reason I mentioned this, so right now my two systems, I, uh, I would say are, you know, operating at, at 
peak efficiency, right? That's good. <laughs> but the reason I say that is because I think the best case scenario is what you want is a machine where if you look in the memory display for in the latest OS, whether it be Yosemite or Mavericks, you will see physical memory, which is how much memory chips you have in your computer. Like, for example, on one machine, it's 16 gigs. Now it says memory used 13.9. That's good. Because memory used is several gigabytes less than the maximum physical memory. To that. So that's the best case. And then the other thing you want to look at in this display and activity monitor, you hit the memory tab, is swap used. Like right now on one machine, it's two and a half megabytes, which means at one point it dabbled with it, but now it's not. <laughs> right? And then the other figure, and it, you know, it's, it's weird, Dave. I noticed this. If you look in Mavericks, it doesn't, sh- it doesn't have a compressed memory component in activity monitor. As far as I can see, It'll show the total amount of compressed memory, but not by application. Oh, I think you Yosemite can. I think you can that. add that column. I I'm think that sure. was there in Maverick. I don't have unless a Maverick it's named right. weird. Okay, it might. Because I looked at the name of the columns here, so Mavericks doesn't. Oh, that's give right. You You've got Mavericks in front of about, you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We just talked about that. It seems that Mavericks doesn't give you as much granularity, but uh, Yosemite does. And then an activity monitor, it will show you both a memory column and a compressed memory column. And you'll know that what what happens on your Mavericks machine, though, if you go to the view menu and go to columns, is there a compressed memory column you can turn on or no? No. Oh, there's not. Oh, no. There there is like 20 items there. And I see uh, I don't see one named compressed memory. Got it. Maybe it's called something else. I mean, they have one like purgital. They have several memory things, but but not. Yeah. But uh, yeah, you see, but nothing says compressed memory. I think they just aggregate it in the memory display. Yeah. They'll tell you how much compressed memory is being used across the board. Sure. Um, all right. Now to get to utilities that could help here. So, cause we actually had another uh, listener write in and said they were having problems um, because I think they were exceeding their ma- maximum Ram and the machine would, as we mentioned, get sluggish, especially if you have a rotational drive and it starts swapping. Now, the thing is that we're talking about this inactive memory, which, number one, could be compressed, as we mentioned, in order to make the system run more efficiently. But also, a lot of these utilities, Memory Keeper is one of them, and uh, you and I, I think, both have a pretty positive uh, view on that yep. utility, Dave. Um, I don't think it's quite as necessary, but but it still seems to be because one listener wrote in and said, yeah, I'm, uh, my machine gets sluggish. I'm like, well, try Memory Keeper. Yeah. I haven't had and, and bad see luck if it with helps. that. Yeah. Somebody in the chat room and, mentioned something. Go ahead. Right, finish. Finish what you're saying. Then I'll, I'll loop. No, we're good. We're good. Okay. I was going to say somebody in the chat room and I'll look, uh, but it mentioned using the, the terminal command purge. Now it has to be run as the root user, which means you have to proceed it with sudo S U D O super user do or set user do, I guess is technically what SU, but anyway, you type S U D O space purge. It asks you for your admin password, which is just your password to log in with. You type that. And then that will do a Unix purge of your memory. I'm not going to do it now. I done that mid show, uh, at least on the old core Two duo machine. And it caused a major pause in the recording that we're not going to do right now. Uh, <laughs> but, uh, I want to now, and it's everything I can do to stop myself from doing that, but I'm not going to, um, maybe I'll do it after the show while we're in post show or something, but, um, but yeah, that, that can do something similar. I think, I think memory keeper does more than just the purge command though. It, it fills up its own Ram so that it forces things out of inactive memory. 
and then freeze right. up that intentionally to, to turn it all into free RAM again. So, right. I think that's what it does. Yep. Yeah. And at least one report we got back was, yes, this makes my free memory figure uh, much larger because yeah. it kind of nudges the, the OS. It's like, yeah, can you, can you really read that up? Now? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's, um, it, and it works, but, but but one answer to me is you know especially the first uh, uh, Charles is again sometimes four gigs just isn't gonna or I would say oh yeah four gigs is not gonna cut it you will be swapping and I actually shake my fist at Apple for offering systems that have such a paltry amount of RAM you know I have four gigs in my 2011 <laughs> MacBook Air. Uh, and it's soldered. Yeah. There's no way that's going to change. Right. Uh, at least not right. without a lot of work. Um, and it's fine. I mean, it runs an SSD. So when it does page out, it's not yeah. horrendous. It's not, you know, thrashing a, a spindle drive, but, um, it's okay. It's fine. Uh, I I've managed it. I don't, you know, I keep an eye on it. I don't run memory keeper anymore. I have, I'm not, I, I don't know. Yeah. I'm not either now. Yeah, it well, it's now on to both do my more, machines. I mean, dude, yeah. once I got 16 gigs in the MacBook Pro, I'm like, yeah, yeah, we're good. That's right. Yeah, I've got 12 <laughs> up here now, which is what I've always had in in this the 2011 uh 27 inch iMac that came from my office and I when I bought the uh when I bought the Retina iMac, I put 16 in that. So It's uh that Retina screen is something else. I'm still every day that I use it, I'm still mm-hmm. amazed at how clear it is. It really makes a difference. It's quite something. Does your now does your uh, new laptop that have a retina screen or no? I intentionally so mid twenty twelve they offered two different fifteen inch MacBook Pros. They mm. offered a retina and a non retina. I got the non retina okay specifically because the retina model, uh, I believe number one, it was the beginning of soldered oh components right. yep. And it didn't have some of the ports that I wanted. So I wanted a FireWire 800 and a gigabit Ethernet port. And the other machine was the beginning of the direction, I believe, where they relegated all that to Thunderbolt. Right. Well, if you want if you want this silliness, then you get an adapter. Yeah. So I intentionally made that decision because I wanted those ports because I still have a wired gigabit network and I still have some FireWire 800 devices. So actually, I think I'm down to one of them. So I don't think that'll be a factor in the future, but, but no, I, right. I intentionally, the, the thing is this screen is way better. Oh, than it's the screen really of nice. The machine that, yeah. uh, that, than my 2008 machine, the, the advances that they made in the screen technology between the GPU and that now this has two GPUs, a, a right. wimpy one and a, you know, one when you, when you need it. Um, and the screen resolution is, is a bit better. It's, I think it's 14 by nine on this one. Whereas the other machine, it was a uh, uh, 12 by, I, I forget, but it was less. So, yeah, so so they, you know, I'm very pleased with the screen and the graphics performance. It's a, uh, it was kind of shocking, you know, because I would see things happen like when I'm doing browsing and stuff where it engages the higher power GPU, and I'm like, oh, that's new. Yeah, right. <laughs> like I've never seen that happen before. Yeah, good stuff. Yeah, 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 yeah. No, that makes sense. Yeah, that screen on yours is fine. It it's um, yeah, but the Retina stuff, it, it's it's a whole other level. It's really quite something. It's the same as when we move from retina or non retina phones to retina phones and all that good stuff. So, um, so John, I did some experimenting yesterday and you better be careful experimenting with what Dave? Well, you know, in my house, I have the router, uh, on one side of my house and I, I run 
two of the identical routers in my house. They're the Buffalo uh, WZR 1750 DHP. So they are dual band routers, 802.11 AC on the five gigahertz band and 802.11 and of course on the, 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 uh, the two gigahertz, the 2.4, you know, and three antennas and all that good stuff. Between them, I've always run power line. Uh, I have one on one side of the house, one on the other. Power line, I've, you know, I've, I used the, I've used all manner of power line. I don't have any of the super new hoopty stuff because it's like that, that's supposed to do, you know, a gigabit or higher because it's not out yet. Really? Yeah. 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 Okay. Oh, but that's I, the direction they're going? That's, it is. That's impressive. Yeah. But like I have before, the five, it was like 500 meg. 500. Yeah. Okay. That's right. Cool. So I have the 500 meg stuff. The 500 meg stuff really for me doesn't go any faster than the 200 meg stuff. I get about a hundred megabits a second across power line in my house. That's not bad. You know, it's okay, but it's not fantastic. So, but I've always thought, well, that's better than Wi-Fi, right? That's, that's kind of where I go with it. Until yesterday, I started experimenting, John. I started, uh, I got two things. I got the um, to test out. I got the uh, amped wireless tap X T A P E X. It's a Wi-Fi range extender, and I also got the Netgear Nighthawk Wi-Fi range extender. It's the EX seven thousand is the model number on this thing. Uh, the amped wireless thing is one hundred and twenty nine. You can get it at Amac. Uh, sorry, at Amazon for one nineteen. The Netgear, I think, is uh, supposed to be somewhere. You can get it at Amazon for like 170 So a little bit of a price difference. Now, the Amped one, they're two completely different products. They are not to be compared against each other. But I figured I would compare both of them against Powerline. Because what these range extenders do is they go grab a Wi-Fi signal that they find and do two things with it. Number one, they both pump it out to their onboard Ethernet ports. And then they also rebroadcast it if you want to do that. Uh, so I figured, well, what a perfect way to compare against Powerline. Um, because, you know, I'm, this is this is the setup I have. The Amped one only does 2.4 gigahertz. The Netgear one does both 2.4 and 5. And and it just turns out that the Netgear, the, the 7,000, the Nighthawk series, the 7,000, it's really close to the same hardware as the Buffalo router that I use. Uh, it's not exactly the same. Netgear runs their chips a little faster and has a couple other things. But but in a, in a general sense, at least in terms of the Wi-Fi circuitry, I believe it's exactly the same, which is helpful. Um, and I didn't expect the amped one at 2.4 gigahertz to run nearly as fast as the the Netgear one at at five because it does 802.11 AC. But really, I was looking at these things as a power line replacement, not necessarily as a repeater, a wireless repeater, though I tested that, too. So, as I mentioned, um, going either over Wi-Fi or gigabit Ethernet, I was getting um, about 95 megs a second over power line sending and about 80 megs a second receiving over both of these. Right. That, that, that was my baseline to compare to. So then I plugged in the, this, this amped unit and uh, using 2.4 from the, the thing on the other side of the house, I was receiving uh, over Ethernet about the same. Or sorry, I was sending over Ethernet about the same. And I was receiving over Ethernet actually quite a bit slower. Uh, I was getting 92 on the receive and 
or on the send and only about 35 on the receive. Now, this is just a function of how far apart the wireless access points are. It's how it works. Interestingly, when I did my, my tests over wireless, now this is whenever you do a wireless extension, you effectively get half the speed, right? Because uh, you're, it's only one radio in the extender unit and it can only do one thing at a time. So it's either getting packets from, you know, the base station or getting packets from your, uh, from your client. It's not doing both. And, uh, and so I was getting about 40 megs a second, uh, megabits per second on the, on the send. And again, about the same in that 25 to 35 range on the receive. But it, but it, it did extend the range quite a bit. And, and so this amp thing, it did a good job. It, it's got a, one of the best parts about it, John, is it has a touchscreen on it. Now, if, you, if you've used an iPhone hmm. before, yeah, this touchscreen will be horrible. It's not built to be your iPhone, right? It, they, they didn't put the money into the touchscreen to make it like an iPhone. But it's perfectly acceptable for setting the thing up and p- typing in your Wi-Fi passwords, which is what you need to do to connect it to your existing network. And, and the fact that it's got this on there makes a huge difference in terms of how easy it is to set up. I didn't have to launch a computer. I didn't have to do anything. I plugged the thing in. It went through the setup. It walked me through and I was done. That was it. All in one. Good to go. So if you have a 2.4 network that you just want to extend, this actually worked. Now, this is a huge turnaround for us. For anybody that's listened to this show for a while, I, I've always been against these Wi-Fi extenders. I'm still with this one. Yeah. For good reason. So I actively use one. And the thing is, it's <laughs> for a lot of people, it it's good enough and it doesn't yeah. make things worse. No, but, but there are better solutions. And I think that's what you're saying is that power line is a much better. If you have un- unlimited resources or funds and uh, have to make a choice. But, you know, I'm, for what I use my extension for, it, it works great. Well, here's the thing, right? So I've always chosen power line. With current technology, though, after testing the Netgear unit, I changed Mm. because here's the thing. The Netgear is a dual band radio. Now, I already have 802.11ac in my main router that, you know, without that, this decision would not be made. But when I tested the Netgear unit over Wi-Fi and I'm going backwards here intentionally, uh, I got uh, about an 85 megabit per second send. So a little slower than the 95 that I was getting over power line. This is over Wi-Fi because it's got to go both directions. When I was receiving, though, I was getting 80 megabits per second over power line, 115 megabits per second on the uh, on the net gear because I'm using five gigahertz and it's got more bandwidth than it needs or more bandwidth than the power line had could always need more, but on ethernet things change dramatically. I'll remind you again, 95 send 80 receive on ethernet with power line with the net gear using the uh, five gigahertz as the, you know, the 802.11 AC as the backhaul between the two routers, 350 megabits per second. Now, this is with 35% signal strength. This is two rooms and one floor away. Five gigahertz is not recommended in this scenario, right? So this is like worst Mm. case. It gets a connection, but that's about it. And I'm getting 350 megabits in both directions. 
way better than the 100 megabits I was getting with Powerline. It's very interesting. So what I've got it set up doing now is I'm using the 5 gigahertz essentially to replace Powerline. And then because this device has two radios in it, I have the uh, 2.4 gigahertz broadcasting just an, an access point. So it is unencumbered. It's not also trying to connect back. I'd turn that part off. It's using five gigahertz as the backhaul, it's, you know, essentially replacing power line. And then uh, 2.4 gigahertz, it's, it's, you know, creating an access point, but it's an access point. That's got 350 megabytes per net megabits per second worth of bandwidth. And my Apple TV and my TiVo and all that stuff are plugged in Ethernet to this. So they have a much faster connection to the Internet than previously because my Internet connection is 105 megabits per second down. So previously I was only getting like 80 to those devices because of the limitations of current power line. So this is very interesting. And I'm, 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 I'm eager to see how things go this year with this. But it's, you know, five gigahertz on the backhaul. That's good stuff. As long as it's AC, 802.11ac. You with cool. me, John? Yeah. I don't know, man. I think you're out of control. I am out I of control. Of course I'm out of control. <laughs> <laughs> who, who needs that much speed? I do. When I'm no, downloading movies. We all do. Yeah, of course. Oh, That's yeah. right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. If you don't get throttled by your ISP, then yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, dude, mm. I use so much bandwidth. It's ridiculous. Um you know, I have backups going to crash plans, servers. I have backups going to Pete's house. I'm constantly downloading. Now stuff. You're uh, you're Comcast, right? Yeah. Yeah. Are you business or personal? No, nope. I'm personal right now, um, mm-hmm. but it's got to change. I mean, they've got to limit me right now. They're in a they 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 put a moratorium on uh, their bandwidth limits. It used to be 250 megabytes uh, Two sorry, 250 gigabytes a month. <laughs> I do about. Yeah, I remember that they they would actually yell at you, and I think you even have a, a web interface to a thing showing your consumption per month. That's correct. Mine opt online does not do that. I have never. Now, one, I'm not a big consumer. Sure, you know, I don't I don't do a lot of streaming and stuff. Though I, you know, I, I download you know large files and sure do you know the cloud thing so maybe but i've never opt online as far as i know does not have any policy as of yet okay. in my area for yelling at you if you use too much bandwidth or at least i've never gotten a letter you know, right letter i got well we're not going to talk about that yeah letter. we don't talk about that <laughs> that was somebody else but, using your wi-fi network for their torrenting purposes john yeah you know that, that that's what the letter said it's like you know we detected some activity on your connection and not saying it was you, but um, yeah, you may want to review your security uh, uh, policies. And, and right. I did that. So yes. that was very nice of them to yes. uh, so politely <laughs> point this out to me. You know, if you have yeah. that problem, uh, if you have that problem where people are using uh, your network for nefarious activity and you just can't stop them for whatever reason uh i'm gonna refer you to a website called iblocklist.com uh uh-huh. they uh, you can subscribe it's about 10 bucks a year and they uh they will uh they they keep an up-to-date list of the ip addresses that all the various um uh, reporting agencies and isps use and you can create your own list from that and subscribe to it in, in a BitTorrent client. So tell all the people that are stealing your, your internet traffic, filter those IPs, 
and uh, maybe they won't have as much trouble. I don't know. I will do. I just put, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm not supporting any behavior. I'm just saying that's what I block list does. And, and yeah, as far as, you know, our various, uh, you know, uh, 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 it departments determined. Yeah. It was just one of these, you know, unexpected incursions that, uh, had to be dealt with. That's right. And we dealt with it. Thankfully you dealt with it. (laughs) It's those kids, those meddling kids is what that is, John. (laughs) If it wasn't for those meddling kids, that's right. um, That's right. Life would be so much different and cartoons would be. Yeah. Woody would never have had to go to the police. No, no. If Woody had gone to the police, none of this would have ever happened. Is the, the well, that's what it is. I believe if you had, if 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 the people using your network had used iBlockList, none of this would ever have happened. But anyway, right. we're, we're, we digress. Yeah, no, I use a lot of bandwidth, and thankfully Comcast is still on moratorium here in in the new in the Northeast. Uh, but that will that will change. I I use way too much bandwidth, and all the backups and everything are going to have to stop when that uh, you know when that comes back in. Because like I said, I use you know. 500, 600 gigabytes a month. Uh, it's crazy the amount that I use, but it's okay. I like it. I'm, I'm looking now. Now you have me curious. So we're going to look at uh, the WAN previous month. That's right. We just started. So I had 388 gigabytes incoming and 364 outgoing. So uh, yeah, we're about 750, aren't we? We're, uh, we're, we're approaching the old TB, I like to say. That's a lot of bandwidth for a dude at home. Anyway, where were we? Where so yeah, are we? So yeah, so huh? so I'm I, I actually so I tested this with the Netgear thing then, I, and that was I have to tell you that the the Netgear setup was also fairly easy. Um, you connect to its Wi-Fi network, which you can change its name and all that after the fact, but you connect to it, and then I did all the setup right inside the OS 10. Like we can't get on the internet. You need to authenticate to the Wi-Fi network like you get if you were in a hotel. That's where the little setup window comes up in OS 10. And you just go through and do all the setup of the Netgear router and or the Netgear extender. And then it, it worked. And so Netgear sent me a, a FedEx return label with the extender. So they, they're going to want it back, uh, which means I had to figure out how to do this on my own. But now that I have this knowledge that um, Ethernet's going to get 350 megabits a second. I had to do it. So then, and that, the Netgear thing with their firmware took all of, you know, four minutes to set up. It was very, very simple. It attached to my network. Everything was great. Then I spent like two hours jacking around with my, you know, custom DD Wirt firmware, getting that to work properly uh, on my existing Buffalo routers. If I had been using the Buffalo firmware, I'm sure it would be fine. And even if I had known what I was doing with the DD word stuff with doing a repeater bridge and all that stuff, it would have been fine. My big problem was that I did a repeater bridge on two on both the five gigahertz and the 2.4 gigahertz realm. Let me tell you something that I knew, but didn't think about ahead of time. And it caused me all sorts of grief. You never want to create a loop on your network. You don't want to have a device connected to your network multiple ways. I was smart enough to unplug power line from my router, but I wasn't smart enough not to link both 2.4 and five gigahertz to the other side. So it, every computer on my network, you want to talk about cascading failure. Everything on the network started saying some other device has this IP address. We're shutting you down. <laughs> All of them. It was outstanding. I loved it. That was bad, bad loop. 
but uh, but once I got the loop done, now it works great. And my Apple TV uh, streams faster now. I just have more Wi-Fi going on in my house. Have you ever heard of someone? Actually, I'm really curious about this. Um, has has anyone ever heard of someone that is uh, physically allergic to Wi-Fi signals? I've encountered such people. Um, I, the only, um, the only people that I've encountered that are that that claim this symptom are people yeah. that are against technology in in a general sense. Now, maybe they're predisposed to be against technology in a general sense, but I'm I'm curious, uh, right? Because you know, if this stuff uh, bothers uh, you, my initial thought is, what's all? What else is wrong with them? I don't know. <laughs> I'm I'm really I'm I'm honestly curious about this. The wife of a, a good friend of mine is 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 like this now but again she's predisposed on the one to hand, against technology so. on the one hand uh, part of the basis of microwave technology which i think where a lot of this uh yep that's right discussion is is that microwaves are meant to uh excite water molecules i think in, in a nutshell that's how microwave ovens work it is now 2.4 gigahertz is also used for various wireless devices it, it it's conceivable that someone because you have water in you as pointed out in star trek i think uh, big bags of mostly water in ugly, that one episode they ugly called us ugly bags of mostly ugly water. bags of mostly water um you're made of water which is sensitive to microwaves 2.4 gigahertz microwaves so i wouldn't say it's totally insane for someone to claim that they are very sensitive to this though i say <laughs> How can I be polite here? Um, I, I question whether uh, it, all I'll say is it's certainly possible. And Dave, you say you, you support all conspiracy theories. I suppose it's possible for there to be a segment of the human population that is yeah. extremely sensitive to 2.4 gigahertz because they have water in their body. And I'll, I'll leave it at that. Yeah. It, you know, it, you know, and, and uh, as I've, as many of our listeners know, but perhaps not all, you know, I've been on this kick lately trying to sort out the difference between whether humans can discern the difference between 16 bit 44 one K audio and anything sampled higher or recorded higher than that. Uh, and, and as uh, NCSU PE points out in the chat room, this too is a great example of an opportunity for a double blind test. Um, because like you said, it it's, theoretically possible i'm i'm just not convinced i have yet to run into someone that i wouldn't already know was predisposed to be against technology that that has this problem but again that may be the reason they are predisposed to be against technology so i you know it's hard to say it's hard to say i i'm curious about this I mean, i'm I, i'm not against this i i have no political leanings here i only know what i've seen oh, right what, what i've seen is uh, it's, I'm, I, I'm, I'm curious and I'll, I'll leave it at that. So mm -hmm. I'm curious. And there's that town in, uh, Tennessee, Kentucky, somewhere that has no wireless. It's not allowed because they're near some big government, you know, radio dish or something. All it's I can so say also, Dave, is the human mind is a powerful thing. Well, confirmation bias, right? And yeah. either consciously or subconsciously you may be able to convince yourself that you are suffering absolutely ill effects from phenomenon x whether it be microwaves or aliens or the government or obama or 
Everything, you know, right. Uh, people have uh, all of the things I mentioned. There are people that claim to be victim of those phenomenon. Yep. And it's like, if you believe it hard enough, it'll happen. Well, this is why <laughs> good and bad. That's well, good and bad. <laughs> it does, you don't have to believe it that hard. Right. I mean, as I learned when I was going through this thing, learning about the, the audio quality and bit rates and sample rates and or bit depth and sample rates and all of that confirmation bias is a real thing. And it's not, it doesn't just apply to, to the two things we're talking about here. It applies to everything. If, if it is, if, if the only metric we can use is human perception, which in these two things is the only metric that matters. Mm. If you believe, if you know what it is you're testing and you have a preconceived notion of what the result is going to be, you will actually believe that the result is based on your preconceived, you know, is, is in line with your preconceived notion. It, it is a true thing. They've tested brain patterns. Confirmation bias is a real thing. I don't know how we got here. I know how we got here. Uh, I'll tell you right now. It's that I didn't have a tea mug. <laughs> and instead of drinking tea, I had a beer. And so that loosened things up. And, you know, that's where we uh, that's where we go. <laughs> I don't know. It's fun stuff, though. I love conversations like this, as as you can all probably tell. Yeah, I, I think we stayed mostly on the rails in this episode. Dave. Yeah, we did mostly. I had a good time. I, I don't know what happened with the chemistry here. Just the, it was a good day. Yeah, sometimes train wreck and sometimes uh, I think we're just giddy about the uh, the the Super Bowl because there may be some. Oh, that's right, the Super Bowl's I think, on tonight. Um, yeah. Well, I think um, uh, not that I follow her, but I but I think this year's entertainment will be Katy Katy Perry. Katy Perry. Yeah, she's someone I, I would like to see live. She's talented, and I've seen videos yeah. and stuff. And yeah, I think. Yeah, yeah. I hope it works out. Yeah, it's a it it it's a good choice because it's actually someone that <laughs> she might have a, a wardrobe. I enjoy listening. Some of some of the uh, oh. yeah. Well, well, <laughs> that may not be difficult, um, and that's all I'm going to say. There you go. Because um, some of the prior acts are either people that I don't follow, and you know they picked for whatever reason, or. All right, so because we got off the rails, were. I'm, I'm going to talk to you. Get I'm back gonna, on the rails, I'm, No, I'm going to stay off the rails. I'm going to tell you about the time oh, that no. I picked the Super Bowl act. Years and years ago, I was uh, mm-hmm. hired to play in this band. I never played the Super Bowl. Don't, don't worry about it. Um, I was hired to play in this band for a, a wedding gig, and we were rehearsing down in Long Island. And as it turns out, the spouse of one of the members in the band was worked for, uh, for the NFL and was in charge of entertainment. And uh, we were asked after band rehearsal, uh, what bands would you guys like to, you know, what, who should we have play the Super Bowl? And we were all talking. There were ideas thrown around. And finally, I said, the Rolling Stones. And everybody stopped and was like, that's who should play the Super Bowl. And we were all like, yeah, but you'll never get them. <clears throat> Turns out, you know, about uh, 10 months later, there were the Rolling Stones playing the Super Bowl. Woo! So, anyway, yeah, I don't know. That's, that's, that's all I got. That's as far as I can go with right. that. <laughs> uh, so I'm looking forward to it. Dave, yeah. it's the only sports I watch all year. Seriously, I, I'm not a big sports fan, but the Super Bowl is almost like an American tradition. It is. If for nothing else, the commercials and to maybe critique the uh, the halftime show. And there you just go. The, you yeah. know, logist- uh, football logistics. And uh, my team is better than you. Seem all that great stuff. I but wish they, they had the Super know, Bowl on Saturday night. 
That's all I'm going to say. But it turns out it should, sh- be a na- it should be Monday should be a national holiday because um, well, think- actually we got alerts, Dave. Um, yeah. They're going to have extra um, uh, law enforcement personnel out because some people tend to get carried away during. Well, we both live in college towns. Yeah, we got the same thing. And and I think tomorrow is a holiday, at least for my kids, because we're supposed to get. So we got two and a half feet during the blizzard this past week. And tomorrow, I wow, think I we're supposed like- to get tomorrow. We're supposed to get like yeah. 10 to 16 inches. So coming. It's we actually got a warning. Yeah. So my area is going to claim six to 12 inches. Okay. We'll see what, we'll see what we yeah. get. Yeah. Dude, the last one. Yeah. I, I got almost nothing. It, 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 yeah. it actually passed my part of Connecticut because everybody was like, dude, what a letdown. And there's black ice and stuff, but right. there wasn't right. multiple feet of snow. But this one, maybe. So, um, yeah. No, we got we got the multiple. We, we got to We got to get ready for the game, man. So, you know, before that, Dave, though, I, I told you I had a beer how. during the show, right? I'm totally ready. I'm good to go. <laughs> Feedback at MattGeekGab.com is the email address to which you can send in your cool stuff found. You can send in questions. You can send in tips. uh, You can send in whatever you want. But next week's show is Cool Stuff Found. We actually have enough for probably five Cool Stuff Found shows. But uh, but next week's Cool Stuff Found. So so that's uh, certainly what we're doing next week. Yeah. Fill out my list. Because, yeah, I've been trying new things, as we all should. Yeah. Every day. Yeah. I said feedback at MattGeekGab.com, John. Yeah, Dave, you know... Uh, there must be something wrong with the Skype connection. Actually, there was before. No, actually, it wasn't. It was my computer. But feedback at MacGeekGap.com. I, I, uh, th- there's no question that that's what, that's what you have to send your email to. Except there's another address, Dave. Premium MacGeekGap.com. And, and what is premium all about? Premium is, for those of you that want to support us directly... Uh, it is certainly not mandatory. It is very much appreciated. Uh, it helps. Uh, it helps do all sorts of things. It's probably going to help uh, me buy a new FireWire interface, but it, it helps John and I uh, just simply get on with our lives. It's it's uh, it's the the money that helps support us. So uh, it, it helps. It, so I'm not in a box on the corner, Dave, with exactly. the horrible audio and reflections that that w- would be required once I tap into my free Wi-Fi. There I'm you still go. in a box, and the echoes would just be terrible. They'd so be terrible. You help oh. us maintain the quality, uh, but premium helps us maintain the quality of this production. The quality of our lives say. and the quality of this production. Thank you to all of you. you you're, <laughs> you're all so, so generous, uh, and, and we really appreciate it. And, and I'm going to apologize again, but I'll tell you, Lisa's on making these mugs happen. So when Lisa gets on something, it happens. So that's I, they'll be shipped out this week. I think is is what's uh, what I'm what I'm led to believe. Two zero six 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 geek. Which is, John? Last I checked, Dave, under the current system, that's 4335. And check out MacGeekGab.com slash Facebook. That's going to bring you to the new MacGeekGab group over there. Going gangbusters. It's having a, we're having a lot of fun and a lot of great questions being answered. All kinds of good stuff. So check us out there, too. Yeah. Uh, I want to thank Michael Johnston from the iOS show and getappler.com. He converts this show to AAC and adds those chapters for all of us and all of you. Also, Cashfly at C-A-C-H-E-F-L-Y.com provides all the bandwidth to get the show from us to you. Podcast Marketplace includes, as we mentioned, Linda, L-Y-N-D-A.com slash M-G-G for 10-day free trial. Smilesoftware.com where you can learn more about PDF Pen Pro 7 and the whole PDF Pen family. Barebones.com for barebones software. Gazelle.com to sell off all your old stuff. Squarespace.com slash MGG. And of course, connected data and Drobo at Drobo.com. MGG50 gets you 50 bucks off. John!
If you're going to watch the Super Bowl, if you already watched the Super Bowl, if you have snow coming, if you don't have snow coming, if you have a week ahead of you, what is the one piece of advice you might share? Well, you know, Dave, I'm going to I'm going to throw you for a loop here, because I think in this case, it's going to be a little different advice in the in the case of the Super Bowl and football. You do want to get caught. Made up. 